Amen. Amen. It's a, it's a joy to be here with you this morning and uh, worship together on this uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, if you're new and visiting here, I want to make sure that you're aware your kids this morning are more distracting to you than they are to me. I just want you to know that, okay? If for any reason you need to take someone out, there is a family room available. The sermon is being cast into that room, so you won't miss what's going on in here, okay? Uh, I just want you to know that. If you need to get up and move around, uh, rock a baby, it's okay, all right? It's okay. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John is where we're going to be at. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be uh, some laying uh, around where you're sitting. The Gospel according to John. John was known as the beloved disciple. We're going to be in chapter 19 this morning. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. John 19, 28 through 30. During this Advent season here at Restoration Church, we've been uh, walking through the different seasons of Jesus' earthly life, right? So we, we've seen his, uh, his humble lineage, we've seen his humble birth, we've seen his humble uh, submission, we've seen his humble servanthood, and today we see his humble sacrifice. And what you're going to find this morning as we read uh, just these few verses is that there's purpose. There's purpose. Now I want you to think about this because many of you, if you haven't caved yet, have presents under the tree that you haven't let your kids open. Right? None of us in this room, I think we can all agree on this, none of us would intentionally give our kids something that they didn't want. Right? Now we may do that to an adult just because we think it's funny. But we're not intentionally going to do that with our kids, right? We're going to give on purpose. Now, we may not give them everything that they want, right? But something that we've noticed that they would enjoy, that they've asked for, something that they really need, that they're going to uh, experience well, we're going to give on purpose, right? Not giving by accident, oh, I forgot to get my kids something, right? You may have forgotten to get a sibling something or a grandparents or whatever, right? Thank God for gift cards. But with your kids, you're going to give on purpose. Do you agree with me? Right? So you think about the presents that maybe you're going to open tonight on Christmas Eve as a family tradition. You're going to open them tomorrow morning. Um, maybe you're going to travel and open presents with extended family at other times. You're going to be intentional about the gifts that you've given, Right? There's purpose behind those presents. Just like there's purpose in Jesus' humble sacrifice. Look with me at John 19, beginning in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, so thankful 
that we have a place to gather together. God, we can gather together to sing and to praise you, God. We can open uh, the scriptures together. We can read them. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us to right understanding of this text. Lord, help us to see things with fresh eyes this morning. Even things that we've heard and seen for so long. God, help us to hear them fresh today. Help us to see the truth of the scripture. God, guide us to right understanding for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room, right? Weird text to talk about at Christmas. You agree? Right? We're supposed to be talking about Jesus' birth, right? Because he was born on December 25th. Not true. Okay? Here's, here's what I've come to understand. Is that we spend so much time taking pieces of Scripture, elements of the Gospel, and putting them in a box to only talk about them at certain times. Right? And we would be amiss if we gather during this Advent season and we don't talk about the death of Jesus. Because that's why he came. That's why he came. We spent so much time talking about just particular elements and we miss the full picture. Right? So I, I don't want you to miss this because this is, this is John adding in here. Um, he, he says that Jesus said... And he knew that all thing that all was now finished to fulfill the scripture. Right? So there's fulfillment of prophecy that we see here in the humble sacrifice. You see, what's interesting is that Jesus didn't just fulfill prophecy when he was born. He was fulfilling it his entire life. So how do we know this? Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, if you want to turn there, you can. If you just want to write this reference down, do that as well. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 2, says this, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Isn't that interesting? Because one of the verses that was read earlier was that the root of Jesse, right, the offspring of Jesse, would grow up, and here Isaiah says, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He says, great, somebody, somebody knew what was going to happen, right? Here's what's so interesting. Isaiah is prophesying 700 years before Jesus was ever born on this earth. They were prophesying about him being the root that would come from Jesse, from the tree of Jesse, that he would be uh, of the kingly line of King David. 
Isaiah says that there was no form or majesty or beauty about him. That Jesus would not be the person that people would look at and say, man, he's good looking. Nobody would say that about him. There would be nothing appealing that would just draw people to him based on his looks. He wouldn't be majestic. But instead, he would be despised and rejected. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus was often ridiculed, that he was rejected for what he was saying, what he was doing, the way he was conducting his life. Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows, that Jesus felt deeply because he was a man. He was God and man, that he had deep, compassionate feelings. He carried the sorrows of his people. Isaiah says that he was he has borne our grief. He's carried our sorrows. And then he says he was pierced and crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that Christ would stand in our place because of our sin. Not because of his, he has no sin. But Christ would stand in our place, carrying our sorrows, being pierced for our transgressions, and being crushed for our iniquities. Why? To bring us peace. And with his wounds, We are healed. John says that these things are happening in this way to fulfill the scripture. Jesus said, I thirst. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine. The psalmist speaks of this in Psalm 69, verse 21. It says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. I don't drink wine. Those of you who do, I would assume that you don't like it to be super sour, right? You also probably don't want to drink it through a saturated sponge. Would you agree? Now, there's kids in the room, so I'm going to be careful to explain this, but I want you to understand this is fulfilling prophecy, but how much they are degrading Jesus in this moment, right? It's fulfilling prophecy that he would thirst, right? He's been hanging on the cross, and he is thirsting. And so he expresses that, and there's a jar full of sour wine, which is gross in and of itself, But it says that they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. There's two things interesting about this. This was the the same practice as the way that men and women of this time period would clean themselves. Now, I don't want you to think about a loofah and just like taking a bath or a shower, right? This is more like a bidet. You get what I'm saying? Like they're using themselves to clean a very specific area of their body. And that same utensil is what's used to soak up the sour wine and give to the king of kings. But it's to fulfill the scripture that they 
put the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch. See, hyssop was used for ceremonial cleaning. So while Jesus is being crucified and he's taking this sour wine on a hyssop branch to fulfill prophecy, it's this act, his death on the cross, that would cleanse us. See, Jesus didn't just fulfill prophecy in his birth. He fulfilled every prophecy about his life, his ministry, and his death. And to this day, the only prophecy about Jesus Christ that hasn't been fulfilled is that he will return. And I can tell you without a shadow of doubt that he will fulfill that prophecy. Jesus will return. And when he returns, he'll finish the mission. He'll finish the mission. I want to draw our attention here to to Jesus' words here as he's hanging on the cross. It, It says that after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and then it says in verse 30 that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Listen, Jesus knew that this is the way that things were going to transpire. He knew that he was going to hang on the cross in our place. He knew that he was going to be offered the sour wine in a sponge on a hyssop branch. He knew, and he knew that this was the end, that this is on purpose. This is the way that the Father has designed it. This is the way it has to happen. And when it had taken place, he said, it is finished. If Jesus knew these details of the way that he would die, don't you think that this morning Jesus knows how you're feeling? If he knew the intricate details of how his life was going to play out, that he would die in this way, Don't you think that Jesus knows right now how you're feeling about this holiday? Don't you think he knows how you're feeling about certain family members? Jesus knows. And he knows, verse 30, that it is finished. That's the take-home truth. If you don't take anything away other than this this morning, it's this. It is finished. You say, what? If he's, if he's returning and he hasn't returned yet, right? If you know that after his crucifixion he was taken off the cross, he was put in a tomb, and three days later he rose, how can he say it's finished in this moment? Here's what he's saying. It is finished. Listen, his death, Paid in full the debt that was owed. The scriptures say that Jesus would stand in our place as a propitiation for our sins. That his sacrifice would satisfy God for the debt that was owed because of our sin. 
So when he says it's finished, there's no remaining debt. It's been paid. And because he's paid the debt in full, it is finished means that in this moment, he purchased our salvation. He won victory over sin. Spoken word hip-hop artist Propaganda says it this way, that Jesus wrote a check with his life. And at the resurrection, we cheer because it means that the check cleared. You ever write a check and hope that it just goes through, right? You ever been in a season like that? Like, I, I know that there's going to be more money that comes into my bank account, but i got to write this check today, and I hope that they don't cash it until after the money hits the bank, right? You've had those moments. And, and I wonder if there's this moment with those surrounding Jesus, even though they've heard him say, I'm going to come back, right? I'm going to tear down the temple and I'm going to rebuild it. But there's this moment of Jesus is dead. Now what? Now what? Three days later, he would rise and we would know Not only did he purchase our salvation at the cross, no, he won victory over death when he walked out of that grave. His humble sacrifice, we see the fulfillment of prophecy, we see him finishing this particular aspect of the mission, and we know that the story carries on, and he's going to finish the rest of the mission I want to invite you, if you're not traveling next weekend, to to be right back here. We're going to finish this series as we talk about his humble appearance, Jesus coming back. But here's what I want to leave us with this morning. Because this is such a familiar text, right? Verse 30 says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. you would, would you just circle that word gave? He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus is not just a fairy tale. He's real. He's real. Even if you don't believe that Jesus is God, we know that Jesus walked this earth. Historical Markings, historical writings from people who didn't believe that he was God confirmed that he was here. Right? That he was here. This isn't just a fairy tale. He was here. But that's why that word gave is so important. Because God the Father was not forcing Jesus to do this. Jesus freely gave up his spirit. And that's the application. That's what we're supposed to follow. We're supposed to follow his example that he gave up his spirit. You say, does that mean I'm supposed to die? Maybe. Maybe. Following Jesus, that may be the call on your life. 
to go to some of the darkest places around the world to take the truth of the gospel that Jesus is real, that he is the son of God, that he is the king of kings, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who died on the cross to purchase your salvation. And he's not dead. He rose from the grave. He walked out of the tomb. He's alive now and he's coming back. That's true. And God may call some of us to go to some of the darkest places around the world. Or he may just call you to go across the street and talk to your neighbor. About the truth of the gospel. And that may mean risking everything that you have. Going across the street, Lord willing, isn't a risk on your life, but it's a risk on your reputation, right? On a relationship that you have with that particular person. There's risk involved. But listen, when we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, his humble sacrifice, and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Listen, when we follow Jesus, we should be taking the same posture and freely giving, right? That we give up and we sacrifice some of our possessions, some of our luxuries, some of the opportunities that we have to care for the lost and the broken. Let me sum it up this way. When we follow Jesus, we should be living on purpose. We should be living on purpose. There needs to be structure and a plan as to what we're doing with our lives. Not just this this false, weird, worldly hope that, man, I hope things kind of work out, but we're not actually doing anything intentional. That we should be living our lives on purpose, and the best way to live your life on purpose is to devote the rest of your life to following Jesus and knowing His Word. Why? Because he freely gave his life for us. Yes, Jesus was born in such a humble way. In the town of Bethlehem, born into a manger. He came in a humble way. Not in a a political position, not even in a, a, a earthly, kingly position. But he was born to a teenage mother and a carpenter in humility. And he humbly, even as the son of God, humbly submitted to his earthly parents. Even though he knew that people would chastise him, they would reject him, they would despise him, they would betray him, he would humbly serve them even knowing that not everyone would believe him that not everyone would follow him he still freely gave his life for them for us Jesus came on purpose, and that purpose was to pay for the sins of the world. The sins that you have committed, the sins that you are committing, and the sins that you will commit. 
Christ died on the cross. Here's the great thing. Listen, when you sin, listen to me. When you sin, Jesus doesn't have to go back up on the cross. Like, do you get that? Like some of us feel this overwhelming guilt sometimes. I think when we sin, like, oh my gosh, I just killed Jesus again. His death once and for all stood in our place paying the penalty of sin. That's it. It's done. It's finished. And because he walked out of the grave, death has no power over us anymore. We have victory over death through the blood of Jesus. You can have hope. You can experience peace, purpose, value, all of those things and so much more in Jesus. That's why he came. He came for his people, his sons and daughters. Father God, we're so